Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, your gracious host. Uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things creativity, innovation, marketing, uh, smart people doing smart stuff. And today, the buck does not stop. Uh, say hello, Peter Vood. Hello, I'm excited to be here. <laughs> Why is it? Call me smart. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, well, you made yourself smart. That was, that wasn't me. I, I just I just picked up what you were already laying down. <laughs> um, so give us a little bit of a 101. If you know if somebody was living under a rock, who who is who is PV? Honestly, I'm just an entrepreneur on a journey to really create a movement and shift this culture. So I started when I was 15, um, built an eBay business and got up into direct sales. And now I've built a company. I went from dead broke to six and seven figures and. And I love helping millennials. So now I've I've kind of labeled myself the leading authority for millennials and been featured in different uh, publications like Forbes and Entrepreneur. But I think I pride myself in uh, creating an academy for younger entrepreneurs to really become game changers. And that academy is one of the top academies on the planet. So I'm just just a small town kid that has a lot of ambition that wanted to make an impact. If you had to cite like the number one like hurdle uh, that millennials kind of face as entrepreneurs, wh- what would it be? I mean, whew, number one. I know it's a bunch, but... <laughs> I think there's information overload. So they take too much information in and they get overwhelmed and they don't take any action. Or they take the wrong action by not knowing who they are. So I think if I had to simplify, it's consuming too much information without focusing on mastery. And it, Because if you take an information that's not relevant to what you want to do, you're going to be overwhelmed. And you never have a brand that's fully congruent to who you really are as the CEO. Speaking of which, you've done a, a hell of a job creating a brand with yourself. Um, how did you make that shift from entrepreneur to Peter Vu, the brand? I, I figured out myself and what was different about me and the brand. And I looked at a lot of other brands to figure out their weaknesses and what people didn't like. And I really thought about what's going to make my company, my brand different than everybody else's. So I positioned myself as the go-to for millennials, but I also really got excited about helping them because a lot of people talk down to millennials and that was really a big a big thing for me as well so just differentiating myself and knowing myself and figuring out with so many conversations with millennials the last 10 years and training 6,000 plus people I really listened to them what they needed what they wanted what was their biggest fears what were their aspirations and I took that and I put it into a brand so I could help millennials so I listened because customers are marketing geniuses people don't realize that the, the likelihood of the marketplace responding because you want something is zero. A lot of companies are creating things they think people want, getting no feedback. So I was just getting feedback and feedback and feedback and feedback. And I was creating things based on what I saw they wanted. And that's why it's been such a hit. So speaking of brands, right, I do a lot of innovation work with like Fortune 50, Fortune 500 brands. Everybody's like, we need to reach millennials. Hey, I don't like. There's always like a mis, you know, a misunderstanding of what that even means. I don't even think they know what it means in, in most cases. What advice or what is your thought process around brands, and relationships, and, and getting their money? I think they should whatever they did 15 years ago, stop doing it, or 10 years ago, stop doing it. I think they need to look at the up and coming brands and start figuring out why they're doing things so differently. I also would have a lot of their staff that's in charge of marketing be the younger generation so they can have a pulse on the millennial uh, demographic. Well, you said something really interesting, too, about, about that. You said uh, something about older generations have 20 years of experience, but you said, no, you don't. You have one year of experience 20 times. Um, and I think most companies, like, we need experienced people to figure out how to reach millennials, but you just kind of flip that model on this. 100%. That's what it is. People think they, I've been around 50 years. No, you haven't if you're doing the same thing. 
they don't they just don't realize that and it's scary because what worked 25 years ago also worked 15 years ago what worked 80 years ago worked 30 years ago but what worked five years ago doesn't work anymore so it's moving so fast they're not adapting and adjusting to the times and these millennials especially 18 19 20 21 they cannot stand companies that put them in a box or have specific things they're not innovating and, and relating to them at a high level so they just they don't even care so let's flip that a little bit. What can, you know, what has worked that's old, tried and true from previous generations that can be applied to your your whole movement? What has worked like old marketing? Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of one-on-one and a lot of uh, like communication with, with customers and customer service that we kind of got away from that the last 10 years where it was so robotic. A lot of companies, are, a lot of them are still doing like the press one here and it takes a half hour to get to somebody. So I think people communication needs to come back and it is. Um, and that would be huge with companies. Having someone talk to the people and have a pulse on not only who's in their company, but creating a movement where the CEO connects with some of the staff and, and other people. I think it's just such a hierarchy these days that I think back in the day, the CEO was kind of involved and he was at the company. He was at the business. He was growing with the staff. He was sharing ideas. He was getting ideas and it got away from that. And I think if it goes back to that, that'd be big. And if yeah, you, you, does that. I mean, you can't forget like they're human beings at the end of the day. And, you know, even with the like the rise of tech companies. I mean, I, I sat and mentored the Google Launchpad, sat with 40 entrepreneurs. None of them had ever met a customer like they built awesome tools, but nobody had ever sat down and be like, Joe, what do you actually need? Or like, how do you what does empathy mean in Peter Vuk's world? It's amazing what you learn. I, I, I wasn't I had a, a ego stage where I was like, I'm the leader and you guys are, are the salespeople. And I was like, you got to follow me. It didn't work. I never attracted any A players, just followers. I wanted real leaders that that had the ability to create a movement with me. So now almost everything we do, my business partner is right next to me, almost everything we do is based on asking our customers, our fans, people that are in our on our list or on my podcast or in, on my Instagram. I ask them what they need, what they want, what are we doing different, what do you not like about our company? And I'm getting so much feedback. That's how we kind of course correct and make sure we have a brand that's not just relevant, but a brand that really impacts and inspires. So just asking your audience and asking customers what they want and need is huge. So that's what I've done. Yeah, that's brilliant. Um, I love this quote, by the way. Um, entrepreneur said, Peter Vood inspires us to rethink everything we've ever learned about entrepreneurship. What does that mean? I just think entrepreneurship is changing every day and 95% of people are not adapting or adjusting. They're so stuck in their ways that they're going to be left behind. So it's adapt or die in this new economy. And if you don't adapt, you're going to be dead in the next five or 10 years. You'll be the next blockbuster. Well, thank you uh, for joining us. This is awesome, man. Appreciate it, man. Thank you as well for making the impact. No worries. Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, the hostess with the mostest. I, although, I guess I'm a man, so that wouldn't that wouldn't constitute me being a hostess. Uh, in case you guys are tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things marketing, innovation, ideas, creativity, amazing people doing amazing things and wearing amazing sneakers. Even though you guys can't see them, I can, and I'm thoroughly impressed. <laughs> um, Tom Bilyeu, say hello. Hello. Uh, if somebody was was living under a rock and uh, or did not have social media or was not at Success Live where we are today, um, what would you say uh, Tom Bilyeu is? 
So I was one of the co-founders of Quest Nutrition, which was an Inc. 500 company. Uh, and then I have since founded a new company called Impact Theory, which is blending social media content with traditional narrative content to make a 21st century or yeah, 21st century studio. Wasn't sure if I had the right century there for a second. A 21st century studio, um, a la Disney. So that's who we see as, as where we're going. Um, l let's talk about that in, in plain terms. <laughs> what, does that, what does that look like? We want to be Disney at their own game. So when you look at Disney as a studio, they've really done something that nobody else has done. They've been doing it in plain sight since the 1930s. And that is, if I say I'm going to go see a Warner Brothers movie or I say I'm going to go see a Sony movie, you don't know anything about that movie. But if I say I'm going to go see a Disney movie, you already know something about it. And so every piece of content that they ever created fed into a brand ethos. And that made the brand insanely valuable because not only could they convey ideology in a consistent manner, and that's why their you know, theme parks are known as the most magical places on earth, the magical kingdom, um, right always triumphs over evil. I mean, that's just like the Disney universe, right? So um, no other studios had the discipline or maybe the vision to say, this is our ideology, this is what we believe, and we want to imbue the culture with that through the content that we create. And so we want to be the first studio that really does have that discipline. If Disney's the most magical place on earth, we want to be the most empowering place on earth. So we want to create content, both social and traditional comic books, books, TV shows, movies, um, that are all centered around themes of empowerment. They're first and foremost entertainment, period, simple as. You've got to be able to watch it and love it and know nothing about empowerment uh, and just dig it because it's a good show. Uh, but when you get into it, there's a layer deeper, and that's why we think it'll resonate. Um, so what's this is relatively a new effort for you. Um, what was your first step in crafting that vision? How much of that vision was crafted at the beginning? And then as you, you know, sometimes the path begins to reveal itself as you're on it. So like how much of that is planned versus like, okay, I see something forming. So my background is actually filmmaking. So that's where I started. And I got into entrepreneurship as a way to get rich, as silly as that sounds, so that I could control my art. Now, in the beginning, I just wanted to direct. So to your point, it's very much evolved because I don't have an interest in directing anymore. It's too myopic. It's too one at a time. Uh, I want to take a more holistic approach and literally modeling myself after Disney and the way that he oversaw everything and was creating multiple kinds of things. The thing that I most... And stealing like copyrights, like changing copyright laws. and uh, <laughs> that, That's a little different than our model, but you it's know. The whole other underworld, the dark, right. the dark underworld of Disney. Shout out to Disney. Right. <laughs> um. So yeah. Yeah, a slightly different model, but uh, but doing things that we really think could capture people's imagination, but at scale. So um, that part of the vision has evolved over time. I never thought it scaled before. Entrepreneurship taught me that. Entrepreneurship taught me you know, what you have to do to get control of things um, so that the art isn't out there, um, you know, being created by somebody else, which was a realization that I lived through that made me want to then control the studio. Um, I learned about, you know, building something that's actually profitable, understanding business models, understanding profits, cash flows, like, you know, in building a business, there's so much nitty gritty to it. Right. So, None of that existed in the early vision because I didn't I didn't even know that world existed. I literally met these two guys who were very successful entrepreneurs and they said, look, you're coming to the world with your handout. If you want to control your art, you're going to have to control the resources. So join us uh, and get rich. And I was like, oh, my gosh, that sounds amazing. Let's do exactly <laughs> <like> that. <laughs> so um, going down that path ended up taking 
way longer than I ever would have imagined. It changed me in ways I never could have predicted. It became the worst and best thing that ever happened to me. And chasing money ended up being soul crushing. And I, I learned that lesson the very hard way and it took me almost a decade. Why, why not do a side gig? And I think that's what most people decide they're gonna do, right? The, the hustle will fund the art, not like changing my whole like business practice day to day. And how you know, during the quest days, how much were you still in the filmmaking world? So two, two big questions. So I'll answer the second one first. Um, when we were at Quest, we were building a studio inside of Quest. And part of the reason that Quest succeeded as rapidly as it did in our first three years alone, we grew by 57,000%. I mean, it's absolutely bonkers. Went from zero dollars uh, in sales to over a billion dollar valuation in less than five years. I mean, it's just absolute insanity. And the one of the reasons, we had a great product, let's start with that. But one of the reasons that we were just able to grow so much faster than other people was we were making content before content was the thing, right? Like now everybody's talking about content. I was just thinking to myself, everybody here is being followed around by a cameraman, myself included. This did not exist. Back in 2009, when we first started thinking about the company, the fact that we were gonna build our own studio and make our own content, people were like, what? So it was so foreign, but that ended up we were able to create the exact kind of content that we wanted that could create a community. And it was that community that let us blow up like we did. You know, it, it's interesting because brand building is very different than, oh, not different, but it, it's so important to um, just uh, the, the whole marketing, like you marry those two. And like a lot of times people like think, oh, we're gonna market after we make the thing. You kind of, you starting to build the marketing into the actual ethos of what the company is. How important and how, well, how do you go about discovering, you know, the tenants of a brand? Maybe not your own, but like when you're talking to an entrepreneur or an upcoming, you know, uh, creative thinker, like how do you coach on building brand from the very onset? So we live in the world of transparency and authenticity, and those are the new kingmakers. So this really is whatever brand you're building now needs to be an echo of something that you believe to the core of your being that is part of what you've been cultivating in your own universe since you were a kid. So the reason that that's important is now millennials and Gen Z, they want to know what it means to support your company. So when they buy your product, they want to know what do you do with that money? So it's not enough anymore to just deliver a great product. There's got to be a, a conscious echo that comes out of supporting your company. And so this, that is great news for people that never wanted to just take advantage of people and didn't want to be parasitic. Like for me, I've rebelled so hard after chasing money for so long, I rebelled from that and said, I don't care if I ever make another dime, I'm going to bring value to people's lives. And just some part of me knew if you bring value to people's lives over the long run, it's going to work. Now, what I didn't understand was that social media was about to change everything. And because we were focused entirely on social, we were now going to be rewarded for doing the right thing. And it's crazy. Like you now live in a time where the companies that will blow up and will do the best are the ones that are doing the right thing, but it's now a marketing vehicle, which is insanity. So it, that is so cool and is so wonderful for the consumer. It is creating a whole nother weird problem, which we could go in, in another interview where people now are weird about making money, which is counterproductive, but it, this is such an exceptional time to be an entrepreneur. If you actually care about other people. Oh yeah. No, it's one of my favorite quotes is like the best way to help somebody else is to make some money, right? right? It's, it's just one of those things. Um, you talk about like how social media impacted your business and how these things kept popping up. Um, you said to stay ahead of trends, you have to create them. Um, you could not have created social media in that sense, but what did you mean with that statement? So 
you may not create the platform, but you've got to be leveraging the platform in a new way. So one of the things that we're doing at Impact Theory is bringing people on this journey with us. And you're going to start seeing this everywhere. So we're welcoming people inside the company on the day we launched. We put out our three-phased approach so that people could watch us do it. Um, I make myself available to answer questions of the community. I literally tour like a musician and I go from just in London doing one of these. I'm here. I've uh, done them back in LA. And you spend the time with the community answering questions. I've done a nine hour session of just answering questions. So that that's just like something that never existed before. Now the tool that's allowed it is social media, but you haven't seen people do this. It's gonna be a trend and it's gonna be a trend because it works. So going from social media to in real life with the community that you're building, I think is, is a, just a huge trend, but I'm trying to be at the forefront of that and show people how powerful it is. That's amazing. You uh, you mentioned Gen Z earlier. Uh, who is she? No, I'm kidding. Um, sorry, I couldn't, couldn't resist that one. Good. Thanks. I've, I've, been, I've been practicing. Now, um, you started off, well, at least according to LinkedIn, um, as <laughs> as a CMO of a, like a, basically a tech company. Yeah. Um, very much B2B, it sounds like. I was like, I did some digging. Um, but you've also jumped from that to nutrition to media and content. What's the what's the Tom Bilyeu thread? Like, who are you at your core? So for me, it really is about pulling people out of the matrix. It's about dealing with the dual pandemics of the body and the mind to help people live a more optimal life. So the, the through line is actually pretty easy. So I started as a filmmaker, totally in love with psychology, loved filmmaking's ability to influence people emotionally, to take them on a journey, and then realized that I didn't control the art, which was very painful, went to the technology company just to get rich so I could control my art. And in that process began to, because um, I, I didn't start as a CMO, I started as a copywriter because that was the only skill I had. So, and then worked my way up, learning entrepreneurship, again, with the idea that I could control the resources and make films the way I wanted to make them to get back to psychology. And then in that process, realized that there was a way deeper level to filmmaking than I'd ever realized. And in developing a mindset and seeing the consequences of a poor mindset, both either triggered by being in the grips of ill health from the body or in the grips of ill health from the mind. So, and realizing I sat at an interesting nexus where because of my, um, I happened to need to escape the fate of my family, which was morbid obesity and people dying from obesity related complications. So I had to learn about nutrition, which was one of the reasons I grouped up with the guys that ended up becoming my partners. They were obsessed with nutrition, which to build the company, we had to really learn about nutrition. So now I know about nutrition and can really deal with the pandemic there. And then started while we were still at Quest, because Quest was always meant to, from my perspective, was always meant to deal with the mind and the body. And just saw that it's hard to get a brand to be that flexible, where people can turn to you for a protein bar and motivation. Like, well, it was like, it was a disconnect for people. And so that's why it ended up being a separate movement. And, you know, to your point, the things morph and change over time. It wasn't like when I was 19, I would have told you, oh, this is my path and it's the dual pandemics. I didn't have that clarity. I just knew I was fascinated by people, psychology, by moving them through media to have an experience. Um, and then through all of this, working in the inner cities, working with kids that I saw struggle with a mindset, 
um, and working with people that I thought were really capable of bringing something amazing to the world, but they were never going to because their mindset was so limited. Right. Um, and could I actually have impact on that? And, and I think I can. Last question. Um, there's you, there's a lot of prongs to you, <laughs> and it it feels complicated. And like and I know like in hindsight you go like okay that was the thread and that's how I got here. Um, again, you know, in a place like here, Success Live, you're trying to help people get there faster in, in some way. Um, how would you advise somebody to condense that story, right? And or in a way their own like the journey, condense the journey, and like get to your whys if you want to state it that way sooner. There's two things people need to do to change their life fundamentally forever and for the better. And that is one, recognize that you probably have a fixed mindset or you're somewhere on the spectrum. You need to as rapidly as possible adopt a true growth mindset. So a fixed mindset is you believe that your talent and intelligence are fixed traits that can't be changed. They're given to you at birth. And growth mindset is your talent and intelligence are malleable traits that can be changed through disciplined practice. So that is huge. And then the other one is to recognize that what you build your self-esteem around matters. And so most people build their self-esteem around being right or being smart. And those are both very fragile because you're going to meet somebody who's smarter than you. You're going to be wrong a lot. You're probably going to be wrong more than you're right. So if you pride yourself on being smart and right, you're going to put yourself in smaller and smaller rooms so you can feel better and better about yourself, which is a totally losing strategy. Whereas if instead you build your self-esteem around identifying the right answer faster than anybody else and being a learner who's always willing to admit when they're wrong, now those are what Nassim Taleb calls anti-fragile traits, where the more I try to attack you, the stronger you get. So if I say you're stupid, your next question is just tell me how. Because if How'd you, you know I was stupid? You're just lucky guess. <laughs> lucky guess. So, you know, when you've got people in that state and they're willing to be humble enough to say, I probably really am wrong. Right. Like in what way am I wrong? Cause once you tell me how I'm wrong, then I can address it. And so that makes them more powerful over time. Cause they don't lose the time to, um, the, the feelings of inadequacy that normally gets stirred up when somebody, you know, throws, uh, an insult at you. Uh, so where can people join the movement, find more about you and, and what you're up to? Yeah, follow me all across every social at at Tom Bilyeu. The last name is spelled B as in boy, I-L-Y-E-U. Just to be also a little bit complicated, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm super active. We put out the most of our content on YouTube, so forward slash Tom Bilyeu. Um, we put out about seven hours worth of content every week. Try to make it as high value as possible. There's something for everybody. Short content, long content, interviews, solo stuff. So dig it. That's awesome. Everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time.